Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFC Team Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me on this lovely Wednesday afternoon, PFF's finest, Kevin Cole. Kevin, we just talked AFC, now we're on to NFC. Great day to be great, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had, as part of our intro, talking about the NFC in the AFC pod. So maybe we got to bring up some, some AFC stuff. Jonathan Taylor, out. Oh, boy, that's too bad. That's too bad. Jonathan Taylor confirmed out. So looking at this Colts, no, I'm just kidding. All right, starting yeah. off with the NFC East, the 4-0 Eagles in the AFC pod. Kevin, I asked you if you thought the Bills were the best team in the NFL. You responded yes. So not going to double up on the Eagles. But do you think the Eagles, once we get – you know, they keep on keeping on. Like, would you actually favor this team to make it out of the NFC? You know, it's cute what they're doing right now. Best offensive league EPA per play. Jalen Hurts looks unstoppable. But when it really comes down to it, do you see this Philly team getting Brady or Rodgers or even maybe a reborn Stafford eventually? Do you see them knocking these guys out of the playoffs when push comes to shove? I mean, again, I'm a slave to the markets. And in the markets, they are the leading team to make it out of the NFC. Now that doesn't mean that you don't take the field, right? Like I take the field over, I take the Eagles, but I do think they've proven enough with the downstate of the NFC to show something. And th- this game that we saw last week, I thought it was interesting that some takes were out there about the Eagles maybe having as much to prove as the Jaguars in this game. I didn't think that was the case. We had seen more from them, but I do think they proved something despite the fact if you look at the PFF grade for Jalen Hurts, if you look at his efficiency, it wasn't great in that rainstorm. But the fact that he was very controlled, the defense came back together, and they methodically came back in that game. And there was a two-play sequence that I want to mention where they had an offensive pass interference, a great um, A.J. Brown when he was doing the like Simba, whatever Lion King yep. celebration for his bit wasted. Sorry, buddy. Maybe next next week we'll work oh. next week. But so so that so that was wasted. OPI on Dallas Goddard. They eventually ended up having a third and goal. I want to say from the seventeen, but it was at least a fifteen yard line, and it was back to back scrambles by Hurts. The first down to the three and a half, and then they go for it on fourth down, and he runs through uh, you know a safety and scores a touchdown. That's what you get. Like that's the floor. Yeah. That's stuff that maybe. I'm not sure other than Josh Allen, any quarterback in the game is going to like run through a defender like that and get you a touchdown where a lot of teams in the NFL third and goal from the 15, 17 yard line, the max ceiling outcome is three points there. And if you go for it on fourth down, you're you're probably more likely than not not to get the seven points. That's it. That was a huge score for them to get them back in the game and then start everything rolling in their direction. 
it's kind of wild. Like that was a great play. He had the big touchdown run against uh, the Vikings in week two, but he really hasn't been that efficient of a runner for how much he's been running so far. Like only 3.9 yards per carry quarterbacks. We usually see, you know, clearing five or six with ease. So if they can just figure that out a little bit more, which again, I don't think it's like he can't work out a higher efficiency. We've seen him do it in the past, but they still might actually have some meat on the bone as scary as that is for what hurts could bring the table because it's right now his usage is unlike anything we've seen at a quarterback before right now he is on pace to get 234 rush attempts this year kevin the all-time record was 2019 lamar jackson with 176 so literally more than 50 rush attempts ahead of the all-time previous record joan hurts continuing to absolutely ball out there this week in arizona hopefully get a shootout if the cardinals can keep up their side of the deal eagles sitting as five and a half point road favorites game total at 49 so we got ajb we got got Dallas Goddard and Goddard even later in that game man he caught one where it was like the eight or nine yard line he might have been able to bully his way into the end zone at a minimum he would have gotten them a first down and third and goal he dropped this and then they had to kick a field goal so another instance where you know pretty close to maybe even blowing that one open a little bit more than they already did but we got AJP we got Devontae Smith we're well aware how explosive this pass game is what do you make of Miles Sanders all of a sudden finding the end zone a little bit we did talk last week on the injury pod about how having Boston Scott out of the picture with that rib injury actually was a low-key really nice upgrade for Miles Sanders anytime he can take these three back committees down to two it does help and as much as i know i don't really think miles sanders is going to finish this year as a top 10 back you look at his expected points and he's like the rb 16 rb 17 so i see this as a pretty quality hold because i don't think you could be able to sell miles sanders for like a wide receiver one or anything like that and hey it would be it'd be cool if jalen hurst didn't steal as many touchdowns on the goal line from miles and if he threw him the ball you know a few more times with that said man if there is going to be an offense where we can rely on you know a running back getting 15 to 20 carries it's probably one that's scoring as much as the eagles and that's got a big badass offensive line like the eagles so are we cool holding miles sanders are you gonna ceh me again and say no no we need to sell him yeah i mean there's probably not that much of a market out there it's weird there's a couple i mean i, I may be taking a, a partial l on sanders because i just didn't see and maybe i didn't see the implications of a potential injury and how it could work for sanders what the upside was going to be I didn't think the offense was going to be this good. I didn't think they were going to have 10 rushing touchdowns and only four passing touchdowns so far this season. That's not going to continue. But at the same time, if you want to flip it the other direction, you could also say that you don't think that Jalen Hurts is going to account for 40% of their rushing touchdowns. It's going to account for a touchdown every single game, average a touchdown a game this season. But, you know, Kent Gainwell has a couple of touchdowns. Boston Scott before the injury had a touchdown. So the ceiling is definitely higher for Sanders, but I think that we're still talking about a ceiling of an RB2 uh, type of game. This is not going to continue going forward with so many rushing touchdowns to go around for them. So maybe if someone's buying it, I'll put the CEH treatment on there and say to sell him. But otherwise, just be happy you have what you do right now in this landscape across the fantasy land. Second place Cowboys sitting at three and one facing the Rams in Los Angeles. It's Sunday afternoon. Rams sitting as four and a half point favorites. Game total out of lowly 43 and a half. Sure seems like it's going to be at least one more week of the Cooper Rush experience. Now 4-0 as a Cowboys starter. 
let's, you know, I don't think anyone's seriously, I hope no one's seriously saying, you know, Cooper Rush over Dak. It's great they got a backup quarterback that they can win football games with, but pretty much every uh, yards per attempt, which isn't the worst stat in the world, but that's the one stat that Cooper Rush does have over Dak. But PFF passing grade, QB rating, adjusted completion rate, big time throws, turnover worthy plays, all very much so in favor of Dak Prescott. But you know what? Dak's one of the better quarterbacks in the league, you know, when things are clicking for him. So we don't need to hold Cooper Rush exactly up to that standard. How impressed have you been with what Rush has brought to the cable to the table, uh, Kevin? Because on the one hand, like, no, he hasn't been a complete world beater, but this is an offense I think we all expected to be pretty damn brutal during uh, the stretch without Dak. And at a minimum, they've been solid. Yeah, no, I think it's been solid. I think it's better than you could have hoped for when you saw that transition. I think – we're, you know, we're going to get another week, it looks like, of Cooper Rush this week. So now they're, like, you know, seen as being a good contending type of team. And, yeah, you don't want to get overboard with him. I tried to do, like, a joke about Cooper Rush. Well, I don't know if you remember. There is one of my favorite um, stats Chiron displays ever was when Jim Tom Sula was 1-0 and they had his highest winning percentage for 49ers head coaches because George Seifert and Harbaugh and Bill Walsh were worse than that. So I did the same thing with Cooper Rush for a starting quarterback, 4-0 as a starting quarterback, better than Roger Staubach at 75%, Tony Romo 61 uh, Prescott 61 Aikman 57 So hey, as of right now, highest, highest winning percentage ever for a Cowboys. First, first ever 4-0 start. Man, I don't know. You you give me prime Quincy Carter over uh, Cooper Rush. That's all I'm going to say. All I'm going to say there. With these wide receivers, C.D. Lamb dominating targets. Funny how uh, that's working out. It is possible for third-year wide receivers to get better than they were in the first two years. So that has been good to see. And really, once Dak Prescott is back in the lineup, uh, even though C.D. Lamb maybe not top five, top six, like some of us, a.k.a. me, had him ranked before the season, but still very much so going to be in that upside wide receiver one conversation. So that's good to see. We also got Michael Gallup back last week, Kevin, and really just back. I mean, he wasn't out there as a distraction. He caught the touchdown and seemingly moving forward. Now we can get back to treating him as a full-time member of this offense. So this week, you know, again, it's going to be a tough game in LA. We don't really have that high of an implied point total, but I have Gallup, I think wide receiver 40. And I think when, if, if Dak was in the picture this week, I would probably move him up maybe five, six spots, but is that about what we have a Michael Gallup, you know, a mid tier wide receiver three, or do you think there's a higher ceiling on him? Because they did pay him like someone that, Hey, if we see him in the top 24, I mean, that's what he's there to do. I mean, it's possible. He has the talent for it. You mentioned ran 24 of 29 routes. He was active in there. The problem though, I think Noah Brown is, you know, not awful, right? He's not someone who's just going to be doing wind sprints out there. So that will be enough probably to detract from Gallup where you can't really count on him is anything more than that mid-ish wide receiver three if you want going forward with the assumption that Lamb has continued to be a guy who's a little bit less vulnerable to having two options. Those two guys are going to feed off of each other, cannibalize each other more than dip into what CeeDee Lamb has. It last year, the three pairs of teammates I thought were toughest to tell apart when they had the ball. Goddard and Ertz until they thankfully traded them. We had Saquon Devontae Booker down the stretch, which was just sad for Saquon. Yes, that anything. was a statement on Saquon. Yeah. Exactly. And then we had Noah Brown and C.D. Lamb. And I, I didn't think too hard about it, but sometimes I was like, huh, is this more of a, you know something that I should be worried about? And 
in the case of CD Lamb because this is Noah Brown. And hey, I'm a Columbus, Ohio lifer. I remember the four touchdowns against Oklahoma, but I just the way they used Noah Brown in the past, man, was like as a borderline tight end. Like he was more or less their H back. So I just didn't think that he had this in him as a pure wide receiver. But there we go, man. Worked out. And that was I, I have a conspiracy theory, Kevin. If you look at the Cowboys since they got Zeke, I think they I think Jerry gives Zeke like a seventh round pick uh, every couple of years because they got Noah Brown out of Ohio State. They got Mike Weber out of Ohio State a couple of years ago too. That was Zeke's like understudy when he was coming up. So these uh, you know, there's worse starts to throw than at the Ohio State Buckeyes when you get late in the draft. But Zico Elliott, a uh, part-time general manager, if I want to put my uh, conspiracy hat on there. With yeah, the Cowboys. part-time uh part-time running back too. So that's the that's a problem. <sighs> Yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, be a lot cooler if this uh, offense could score a few more touchdowns. And yeah, Zeke, career low marks and yards per carry and yards after contact per carry right now. Offensive line, not doing a ton of favors, but that's life in Dallas right now, unfortunately. Another 3-1 and team in the NFC East, your New York football giants. This is the worst three and one team you remember in a bit, Kevin. I mean, my God, like it's awesome. The Saquon Barkley comeback, incredible. The dude's on pace for over 2,400 total yards this year. The man is so back. I am absolutely terrified of even thinking about playing anyone else in this offense. We had a DFS community trying to rally around Richie James last week, Kevin. That's the point we've gotten to in New York. Unironically rallying around Richie James. Like just overall thoughts on this offense, because I I wouldn't be that surprised that this is the best we see them look all year. Yeah, I mean, the thing is Daniel Jones, high ankle-ish sprain, and that's a big deal for him, too. He needs to move. Yeah, I mean, beyond Saquon Barkley, the most effective part of their offense was him running the ball, 188 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Um, That's pretty good, right? We're talking about, you know, 30 fantasy points that you were getting from him over the course of four weeks off the ground, which is pretty good. And it's not, it wasn't a total fluke either. It was eighth in attempts amongst all quarterbacks, third in rushing yards behind uh, Jackson and Hurt so far this season. So not having that is going to, be difficult because you're right. We Richie James, there was a hope that he would do something. Uh, maybe there'll be more of a hope now that Kenny Galladay is like officially gone. He's not just mannequining. He's he's been put back into the into the stock room. He's he's out of the mix there. But at the same time, they were just spamming uh Slayton, Richie James, David Sills. All of them were getting maybe 60 to 70% of the snaps. So it makes it really difficult to rely on anyone, again, in a talent-based position. In London this week, another 9.30 kickoff. I'm a fan of, of the 9.30 kickoffs, Kevin. I don't know about everyone, but... A West Coaster, against... a fan of the 9.30 kickoffs. Come on, man. No, no, I'm Midwest. Come on, get out of here. But if you're, okay. if you're West Coast, then get the hell out of here. I understand that as, as that to an extent. But Packers, eight and a half point favorites. Makes sense. Game total about 41 and a half. I, I just have a feeling. I think Daniel, uh, a limited mobility version of Daniel Jones could very well be the worst quarterback in the entire league. So really, yes. with all these pass catchers, stay the hell away. I will leave a candle lit for Kadarius Tony forever. Washington Commanders, bottom of the division right now, one and three. The uh, the Carson Wentz roller coaster, Kevin. We've we've seen some good fantasy performances in large part because he has more dropbacks than anyone in the league, I believe, at this point, and also in part because this defense isn't really doing much. Really, this year Washington's kind of been like a poor poor man's version of like the Detroit Lions. They're not nearly as fun. They're not as productive, but we are still getting some fantasy use uh, regardless. So talk before about how Wentz is right next to Matt Ryan, honestly Derek Carr as well in terms of PFF passing grade. More so an indictment on how bad they playing than anything really good about Carson Wentz so first two weeks he was the QB three then he was the QB six last two weeks QB 28 and QB 30 what version do you think we're going to get more times moving forward or should we accept that this is a complete boomer bust offense 
I mean, maybe we'll get, uh, we won't even get a version of Carson Wentz. I mean, this is a little bit out there. You're kind of reading between the lines a bit, but in a local interview with the TV station here with Ron Rivera, he was talking about little problems that they were having as far as coaching, you know, penalties, things like that, that they needed to get together. And he was asked, at what point do you have to consider bigger changes now? You know, it's kind of like we're talking around everything here, bigger changes. And he says, yeah, that's something you have to do. At a certain point, and we're getting close to that point, you have to determine whether or not what's going on, what's going on is a liability. So I don't know. That smells a lot like Carson Wentz. <laughs> Talk about Carson Wentz there. So again, Sam Howell, can we get Sam? If they go to Taylor Heineke, yeah, I'm going to be very, very upset because I think he's officially been the the backup quarterback there. So who knows? It may be no Wentz here, but from the perspective of everyone else here, I guess we're hoping – Maybe we have some more Terry McLaurin upside with Jahan Dotson out, Brian Robinson back. I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical that you're going to get anything now that you actually have an enhanced outlook for Antonio Gibson than you had preseason. And now you stuff Robinson back in there, Jonathan Williams, other guys in the mix. I don't know. That could be a total mess. Look, we know the answer isn't Carson Wentz. We also know the answer is definitely not Taylor Heineke. If you want to say yeah. Heineke is better than the worst version of Wentz, then okay, fine. The answer is no. Like either way, you, between them, let's get some Sam Howell out there. And That's man, I remember saying. going through, uh, you know, doing. I don't really review the prospects quite as thoroughly as you, Kevin, but just looking at, I try to find the guys because historically the rookie quarterbacks that have had success almost exclusively need to at least have a decent rushing floor. I think Justin Herbert's the only rookie quarterback to post top 12 numbers and he didn't average at least 25 rushing yards per game in college. And Sam Howell has that in spades, man. I mean, his broken tackle rates were astronomical. He's got a great deep ball. He was, you know, second team all preseason. Our guy, Skylar Thompson, obviously took that first spot. But could you actually see Sam Howell, like even on a terrible Washington team, actually providing, you know, some fantasy goodness, maybe not being, you know, someone we're starting over, you know, legit top 10 guys, but top, you know, upside QB do potentially QB two down the stretch just because of the style in which he plays football. Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, after again, there's a huge gap between Malik Willis and anyone else, but he was kind of the most credible runner, I think, after Malik Willis. Ritter's fast, but not really a guy who would who could take hits and could bounce off like Sam Howe. A lot of people compared him to Baker Mayfield. It might just be like he looks a lot like Baker Mayfield, but running the ball much, much different. He was a guy who had eleven hundred rushing yards. Uh, in his last season and that's when he was forced to run a lot because they had a lot of things going wrong and remember it was two seasons ago but after his sophomore year true sophomore year people were projecting him thinking a year out in the future he was going to be a top five pick and then he fell all the way to the fifth round so he's got talent he definitely has talent where do you think jd mckissick ranks in full ppr scoring right now oh my god i don't even know uh i don't know in the 30s or something like that maybe lower RB 33 ahead of Michael yeah. Carter, ahead of Zeke, ahead of Tony Pollard, ahead of Melvin Gordon. Ahead I mean, of it's Travis gross. Zeke, it's not, it's not efficient, but it is gross, but I'm just looking at this man. If, you know, if I had to pick the highest scoring Washington running back for the rest of the season, I think you could argue McKissick. Cause I know Brian Robinson's coming back. Everyone's talking. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's a great story, but he's going to be splitting early down stuff with Antonio Gibson, man. And I, I want to make sure that we're separating Brian Robinson, the football player in the role, and Brian Robinson, the great story. Because we do this, man, with Alex Smith coming back. You know, he was going out there and really just shitting himself for the first three or four games. And no, we had to pick like the one decent throw and talk about that because it was a great story. Teddy Bridgewater, America loves a comeback, and that's great. But I love winning fantasy football games more than 
loving a comeback, Kevin. So with Brian Robinson, I've, you know, gone on record. I want Rashad White. I want Jalen Warren way ahead of him on the waiver wire because, again, when all three of these guys are healthy, even if Brian Robinson does take that starting job back from Antonio Gibson, I don't see Gibson completely hitting the bench. And what's that lead Brian Robinson as? The lead early down back in a terrible offense that is going to put McKissick out there the second they get down by a couple scores, which the more we see this team, sure seems like it's going to be happening a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the case for Robinson was that Antonio Gibson was just like dead, was dead to them. Was Coaches were just going to be like, this guy's dead to me. Uh, Robinson's going to be our early down guy. It's going to be him and McKissick and not a whole lot of anyone else. Now you have Gibson who performed pretty well, you know, with what he was given, worked his way back in there. I mean, again, you even had Jonathan Williams sprinkling in there and he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. Sometimes you could have Williams still sprinkling in by, by some chance in this, in this, there's just definitely not going to be around. And we've seen the offense and we haven't seen the upside for touchdown scoring when it comes to an early down back, I think, um, even a guy who was, who's, who's working every down early downs might have a little difficulty being a consistent score in PPR formats. First place NFC North Vikings sitting at three and one got that help, you know, from the double doink last week to take down the saints and London, their home this week against the Chicago bears, seven point favorites game total at 44. So I was doing some digging in my running back column and I was just looking at Dalvin cook and found some interesting stuff, man. He's actually only averaging this year, 12.5% targets per route run well below his previous career low, which was last year at 16.4%. Prime Dalvin was actually going over 20% with that. And you just start to look at it, man. This year, he's only on pace for 38 catches and just over a course of 17 games. I mean, it's just not even close to what we've been seeing in the past. You look at Kevin O'Connell, who comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. The Rams, man, since McVay got there, 31st in targets to running backs. So I don't think Dalvin Cook is going to all of a sudden be unusable by any stretch of the imagination. But do you think that we should probably be treating Dalvin Cook more so like a Nick? I mean, I, I don't want to say Nick Chubb because he's not, he's like the RB1 right now. So, but Dalvin Cook, like, are you concerned about this pass game usage? Is he's is he more of a reliant, I guess, early down player, more so needs to make the most out of 20 rush attempts than this, you know, every week top five RB that we've been used to treating him as? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's no doubt about it. You look at the expected fantasy points numbers, they play into that. And some of it is just not getting the high value touches that you would have hoped to have had from Dalvin Cook. He's He has one touchdown this season, one rushing touchdown, but his expected rushing touchdowns is only 1.1. So he's not going much under that. And if you look at the combination of expected touchdowns for receiving and rushing so far this season he's rb 34 in that category less than alexander madison so some of it is an issue with maybe him not getting the slice that he should be getting even within that offense but i think it's lower than it used to be i think they're going to try to stuff it in a little bit less often with cook near the the goal line than they had in the past and that is going to be a problem for him right now rb 26 and expected ppr points per game don't sell medium. Don't sell low. Sell high if you can. This is still a running back on pace for 306 touches. I mean, he's still, you know, it's a career low, 4.4 yards per carry, but he still looks fine enough out there. Let's remember, though, actively playing through the shoulder injury. Like, he is banged up already at this point, and we do have Alexander Madison, you know, not exactly coming close to truly taking over, but maybe a little bit more involved than we did see in past years. So if you can sell high on Dalvin Cook, especially, again, we were talking about on the AFC podcast, like, with Dalvin Cook in this type of role, wait for him to get a touchdown or two. And, you know, everyone to think we're just looking at the same old Dalvin Cook. But if we don't see those targets, you know, change in a significant manner, which 
barring an injury, man, I don't think they're going to. They're throwing more to K.J. Osborne or Smith in this offense than Dalvin Cook these days. Uh, takes us back to yet another failed. Uh, Dalvin Cook getting more reps out wide in uh, you know training camp back then, Kevin. Uh, Storyline, so will not be afraid to sell high on Dalvin Cook at all. Uh, just wait for him to get, again, one of these uh, bounce-back performances that will inevitably be coming inside the Vikings offense. Second place in the NFC North, the Green Bay Packers, three and one facing off against the Giants in London this week, favored by eight and a half points. So we got committee approach everywhere right now. You know, we got Lazard and Dobbs and Dylan and Jones and hey, they're making it work. Do you think that this version of the offense, Kevin, will be good enough to score a bunch of points in January? Because we have seen, you know, the Buccaneers game, they scored their first two drives and they kind of withered away at the end. They had all those problems in week one against the Vikings when they, you know, lost some of their pieces. So overall thoughts on this kind of Devontae Adams-less Packers offense. And do you still think they have that, you know, lethal ceiling they need to make it past where they have in past years? I mean, the thing is, did they have, did it, it wasn't like a bunches of, everything offense before because of the low play counts and other things there. So yeah, they can get back to being an efficient offense, a fairly high scoring offense, but they're, I don't think they're going to be a top, top offense. And then it becomes a problem when you split the pie up, when you don't have that, even if it's efficient, splitting the pie up can be a little bit difficult here because for the receivers, I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to count on anyone. Romeo Dobbs has a chance to become a guy that runs 95% of routes, but you know, Iron Rodgers was staring laser beam eyes through him after he dropped a touchdown at the end of last game. That would have been the game winner. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, Christian Watson is, you know, nice end around touchdown. But other than that, he's not really involved at all. And then Lazard looks like he has that ceiling that we were hoping he would not have uh, when you were drafting him in the mid rounds to start the season. So I, I just think it's going to be tough to get production from anyone other than maybe Dobbs can become that guy. And then Aaron Jones looks like he's a much more profitable uh, player than Dylan in that backfield right now. I saw both Lazard and Dubs in that wide receiver three mix, but I think I'm with you taking Dubs over Lazard for the rest of the season. I would say that, you know, we did see Rodgers go back to Dubs in overtime, had a nice kind of back shoulder there. So not immediately uh, in the doghouse, or at least we will hope there. But yeah, I, I love the uh, Rodgers stare downs. There was a play against the Eagles a couple of years ago where MBS drops his 60 yard bomb on the first play of the half. They show MBS, you know, get up, just kind of slap his hands, you know, I count. It was 10 seconds and they cut back to Rogers and he's still just staring at him from 50 <laughs> yards away. Oh my gosh. Just caught his kid, you know, stealing something right in front of him more or less. So Aaron Jones, quick shout out. Like uh, I do this graph every single week, tweeted out where it's just running back yards after contact and then missed tackles forced per carry. And clearly man, the two best running backs this year in those individual, you know, statistics, Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones. So that's really helped Aaron Jones, you know, just overcome so much AJ Dillon being used. But when both these guys are, you know, easily surpassing 50% snaps, 15 to 20 combined carries and targets per week, the answer to which guy to roll with is just, yes, I'll be it. Unfortunate, we're probably never going to get that. Alvin Kamara, you know, Christian McCaffrey as target ceiling for Aaron Jones because we know he can do it. But continue to start these guys, wide receivers, firmly in that wide receiver three tier. Are you are you back in on Robert Tunyon now? We got the touchdown, but we're probably always going to need the touchdown to make it work. Yeah, yeah. He's another one of these guys that I mentioned. I mean, 60%-ish of routes. Unfortunately, that's looking like a ceiling type of number for him. We'll see going forward. So maybe that lowers him as being even a more difficult touchdown dependent tight end than others that we had mentioned, like a Dawson Knox or someone like that. So I don't know if I'm back in, but if you have, you're not going to find anyone better on the waiver wire right now. 
another uh, it's, it's another good example of with the coaching tendencies. It, it can't rule your entire analysis, but it's something to keep an eye on because we've seen now the Matt LaFleur, his usage with the committees, look what happened in Denver, and also look what happened to our next team, the Chicago Bears and the artist formerly known as Cole Komet. Although Komet's actually, I guess, out there plenty. Uh, unfortunately, the passing game just can't really get much of anything going. But the Bears, two and two. They're in Minnesota this week. Seven-point dogs game total at 44. Uh, I just want to give a shout-out to lovely PFF analyst Brad because he had a nice little just tweet kind of showing exactly what's going on with Justin Fields Brad Spielberg at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter but you know x-axis was quarterback drop back percentage without pressure y-axis you know drop backs with a wide receiver deemed open or wide open and you kind of see you know a bunch of NFL teams in the middle you got the Eagles really far into right you know where Hurts is making good things happen the Seahawks and the Jaguars are surprising and then the bottom left Kevin you see the Chicago Bears sitting there I mean, it really is just a brutal situation to try to judge Fields in. And it's it's unfortunate, man. Like, do you think this is just the last we're going to see Justin Fields or the Bears now going to have to go back in 2023 and be like, okay, now let's really find out what we have in the guy? Because as much as Justin Fields has not been the solution, uh, neither has anything else in this offense. No, people love saying we're going to hold on to this guy for one more year. And they have enough excuses here. Uh, versus a lot of other guys that we've seen in the past. I mean, even Drew Locke. Oh, sorry, Drew Locke. This is Drew Locke. Hold on. Hey, bro, he's behind Gino Smith. What do you want the guy to do? I mean, I mean so, so, so no matter what, they'll always go back to him. I mean, the problem is I have another. I, first of all, Spiel, I love Brad, but, you know, he's he's part of Chicago Bears uh, <laughs> apologists when they when it comes to Justin Fields. We, I will not allow it. So I have another chart where I look at time to pressure and then it looks at whether or not you can put it on the quarterback now. That could also be coverage or the lack of receivers getting open versus putting it on the offensive line. So he's creating a lot of his own pressure. He is like by far in a way, like he's in a whole other category compared to everyone else as far as how many more sacks he's taking than you would expect given how quickly he's facing pressure um, from his offensive line. So I don't know. The question is like, does the dude, can he play football or not? Like, can he get the ball out of his hands or not? And some questions are going there. I'd probably be very willing to move on, but teams love hanging on to guys. He looks like a deer in headlights out there. I mean, the internal clock might as well be a sundial sometimes. But you, once you see him start playing football, it's working out. In week one, when they beat the 49ers, you know, he has that back, kind of throws it back across the field, 60 yards to Dante Pettis or whoever the hell he has to throw the football to out there. Yeah, there, there. Wasn't, a, there wasn't a defender within like 30 yards, but yeah, I agree. Right, but then you, you see him take off sometimes. And obviously, the dude's an incredible athlete in the open field. Last week, man, on that final play of the game, like he made one of the best throws on the week on this lateral, falling out of bounds, getting smeared. Like he he checks every single box. So I guess that's my thing, Kevin, because you look at early career Josh Allen, who was in a, and please, for the love of God, I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to turn in to Josh Allen, but in a world where we, we think now the new NFL age of thinking seems to be, okay, if you can get this, you know, just alien level quarterback with every single tool, you can figure out the rest. Like I think field still checks every single box you want him to have. Unfortunately, again, it just hasn't been a situation where I don't think any quarterback can exactly go out there and succeed. I mean, look, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence and stuff like I, I just, if their teams hadn't, 
if, if Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson were still just being left out to dry like Justin Fields is, I'm not sure we'd be having the same conversation. Uh, but yeah, probably talked. I, I have a tendency to continue talking about, you know, just the worst teams yeah, in the league. But more so. Bears talk. That's what that's yeah. what the people want. So let's that's, just keep that's it going. what we're going to get those views up. That's how we're going to take down the uh, fantasy footballers, Kevin. So <laughs> Detroit Lions, here we go. The most entertaining team in the league. One win, three losses, but they are your top ranked scoring offense and your single worst ranked scoring defense, America's Lions. So injuries all over the place unfortunately DeAndre Swift probably going to be out through their week six bye that's what Dan Campbell hinted at before and we did see him miss last week also have a Monroe St. Brown and DJ Chark dealing with injuries last week that caused TJ Hawkinson to go the hell off also had a two touchdown performance from Jamal Williams so just do you, can this offense keep it up, man? Jared Goff is a top five quarterback right now in the year 2022. And while I haven't, you know, thought that while watching Goff, that he's necessarily just become this complete world beater out there. He's making it happen. The scheme seems to be giving him plenty of options to go with the football. I mean, even though I don't think the Lions are going to be the number one scoring offense all year, like when I t- when we talk about, you know, the Browns being the top six ranked scoring offense and the Lions being number one, like I'm way more confident in the Lions at least maintaining this kind of above average sort of unit. What do you think about them moving forward the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, the defense is, is helping, right? The defense is putting a lot of pressure and just saying you're going to have to score a lot week in and week out. So they are going ahead and fulfilling that. I guess, yeah, so you had last week. You're not going to get a game like that, I don't think, again. And, you know, Jared Goff actually even helps the cause by the tossing in a pick six, which puts <laughs> a little bit more pressure. You get the ball right back immediately, right? Like no time wasted off the clock, and you add additional seven points that you have to come back from behind on. So good good, good play by him there to get things going. And He's averaging 25 and a half fantasy points a game. Well, depending upon your scoring system and all that. 2018, he averaged over 24 fantasy points a game, Jared Goff. So this is not a totally unprecedented sort of ceiling for him this year. Whereas for Jacoby Brissett or someone like that, it definitely be definitely would be. Uh, you mentioned uh, Chalkinson, so we don't really have to go over that anymore. But Jamal Williams, I think there's one thing to think about him. Huge game. You know, you're not going to get those 50-yard touchdowns all the time. But he only had 15 routes out of the 42 passing plays. So he wasn't like a dominant sort of guy. Other running backs had 19 routes there. So maybe that's something at least to think about him going forward is you're not getting a total dominant workload um, where you can count on him in all game scripts. And he doesn't need necessarily some of these outlier plays to hit going forward for anyone who thinks you're going to be getting this type of performance from Williams week in and week out. Yeah, like I, I moved him down the ranks compared to last week, even though obviously he had another incredible performance because of what you brought up, man. I, I thought we were looking at, and hey, it's worked out pretty well. You know, the comp I used all offseason was this year's James Conner, and we saw him getting all the goal line stuff in this improving offense, and that's that helped him even with DeAndre Swift there putting up big numbers. I thought he was going to take over the backfield in a similar manner as Conner did if Swift missed mixed time. Hasn't happened. And it didn't happen last year, but I brushed that off last year because Jamal Williams was playing hurt during that stretch. But, hey, we now have a four-game sample size of Jamal without Swift, and he's played 63% of the snaps, 47%, 42%, and last week, 53%. So, yeah, Craig Reynolds, Justin Jackson, like, they're splitting it enough, so neither of them are relevant at all in fantasy. But, you know, when we combine them, when we have Justin Reynolds or Craig Jackson, all of a sudden it does become a bit of a problem for Jamal Williams. Total ceiling, so still get him in your lineup. 
lineups. I'm not saying that, you know, he is my RB 14 on the week, but guys like, you know, Leonard Fournette, Alvin Kamara, Aaron Jones, the hopeful guys that we were thinking Jamal could maybe be right up there with, at least in terms of his workload to Kevin's point, probably not going to be busting off too many 50 plus yard touchdown runs. I mean, look, we have the lions facing the Seahawks. Like those teams are pretty similar in terms of just atrocious defense and an offense vastly exceeding expectations. So let's not get too carried away here with the big forms from Jamal Williams and also Josh Reynolds too. Good for him. It's been three straight weeks and stuff. But if we get even one of DJ Charker and Monroe St. Brown back, man, not going to be exactly lining up to be playing Josh Reynolds. Assuming they're out this week, I still only have him as my wide receiver 40. I'd still be playing the Packers wide receivers, you know, even Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, Michael Gallup ahead of Josh Reynolds. You think that's fair, Kevin? Or do I need to freaking open my eyes and accept that this is Josh Reynolds' world and we're just living in it? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely don't need to accept that. But I think it's fair. You just don't really know who's going to end up getting some of the work there. I mean, there was some talk, you know, could it be Khalif Raymond who's going to come in in the slot? Will that be a thing? That could be a thing more so going forward. And obviously the pie for all the different receivers is just not going to be nearly as big as what we saw this week. Again, in Foxborough this week, Patriots three-point favorites, game total 45 and a half. Oh, yeah, this was crazy. Kevin, apparently Randall Cobb is the Packers' best player, right? Because last week against the Patriots, we know Bill Belichick always takes away the opponent's best player. He's the only coach in the NFL that thinks to do that. And Jones had over 100 yards. Dylan had 85. uh, Lazard had over 100. And Dubs had a touchdown. So that, you know, it's impossible for them to be the best player because Bill Belichick just would have shut them down. So Randall Cobb. Best player on the Packers. That was my takeaway there. And, you know, I mean, you, you can shut yourself down, too. Let's not forget that. <laughs> of course, of course. NFC South, <laughs> as I move on from my stupid little rant there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers in first place at two and two. Certainly, even though they lost to the Chiefs last week and everything, you know, I'm not sure who was going to be able to beat Patrick Mahomes in that night uh, the way he was playing. So, at a minimum, we did see this team get back to just airing the ball out. And it was expected. Once you get Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, Russell Gage, and Mike Evans all on the field at the same time, I mean, I think the backfield had a combined six rush attempts out there. So, yeah, I think them being ineffective was a part to do with that. But at a minimum, Kevin, you know, because there was some concern about going from Bruce Arians, who I know we still see up in the booth, you know, once per game, but going to a defensive-minded coach in top bowls. They talked about wanting to run the ball more. I mean, if you had to place a bet and who's going to lead the league in dropbacks now from week five to week 18, I mean, Tom Brady, I'm not saying he'd be the favorite, but certainly top three, top five. No, no, yeah, he would be in there again. They got their full complement of receivers back. Maybe everyone's not 100% healthy, but Godwin stepped in, ran 45 of 53 routes. I thought he looked pretty good. 10 targets, seven catches, 59 yards. Um, For me, the story of this game, as far as the implications going forward, is probably looking at Leonard Fournette and the Rashad White situation. You've been mentioning uh, ad nauseum about everyone needing to get Rashad White, so we don't need to talk about that as much. But maybe the Fournette part of it is a little bit more interesting because when he wasn't performing this year, you still thought to yourself, oh, man, this guy's getting a dominant uh, snap shares, dominant workload and this sort of thing. They didn't run the ball much, so you can't really necessarily put it on him. But the more important thing was they were rotating full drives with Rashad White. So it was like two drives for Fournette and then a drive for Rashad White. Maybe part of that was game script driven, but I don't think Fournette's shown that much explosion even when he was producing in prior years to say that he can keep someone off the field and maybe it's just another reminder where you can't just fall in love with any running backs workload potential because so few of them can really have it locked in going forward and maybe Fournette's a guy that could even lose more work in the future. 
It's it's a decent point, man. He certainly hasn't been earning it ever since that, you know, great first game against the Cowboys, 127 yards, struggled against the Saints, Packers, and Chiefs alike. And you just look at it, man. Pick your stat. He's bottom 10 running back in PFF rushing grade, missed tackles force, yards after contact per carry. Hasn't really looked good. I know he's still playing through the hamstring injury, but, you know, he's been out there and they're giving him, at least before this last week, they were still giving him 80-90% snaps. So they weren't treating him like he was a limited player. It's been unfortunate to not see him, you know, take more advantage of those early opportunities. So, yes, last week, Leonard Fournette, 59% snaps, and Rashad White did have those 39%. So one more time, if you didn't miss the first 20 times I said on the podcast, Rashad White, Please, for the love of God, pick him up over guys like Tyler Algier and Mike Boom. Whatever Shab White and Jalen Warren. We're not talking about just. Uh, I was just about to ask. Handcuffs. What about Jalen Warren? Jalen Warren. We <laughs> We're not talking about just everyday handcuffs, Kevin. We're talking about legit high end handcuffs. What Rashad White, man? Like just. Earlier in the season, I didn't believe he had a chance for standalone value. I still don't really think he does, even if they continue this split. But Giovanni Bernard, he's battled a little bit of an ankle issue, but he's still been active, or at least been. He's been healthy enough to be active. He's not in the picture. Keyshawn Vaughn isn't in the picture. So Rashad White, even though he hasn't gone out there and checked a ton of boxes, the fact that Tom Brady is cool having him out there for drives on end, to your point, is huge. And let's not forget, he fumbled the opening kickoff of that game. Didn't matter a little bit in terms of his uh, usage moving forward. So Rashad yeah. White. I, mean, I don't I don't wish like injuries upon anyone, but it would be, but. for some reason, it would be interesting to see I just want to see the reaction when Rashad White, if he was going to be a starter, what would happen? What if he'd be 100% owned in all DFS contests? Everyone would be going crazy. It would be basically like everyone who has them on their roster just won their fantasy league. Who cares what the results say? You just won your fantasy league, even if he stinks and does nothing. That would be that type of reaction, I think. He does. He looks good out there. I mean, you see why he was PFF's highest grade receiving running back uh, coming out and some of the things he's able to do in that part of the game. Anyway, Tampa home versus land this week, eight and a half point favorites game total at 48. My uh, bold call doesn't feel that bold, but you know, it's my article. I can say whatever I want is bold. And uh, Tom Brady, five touchdowns this week. Heard it here. That's first. pretty bold. Four games against the Falcons. He's gone 390 yards, two touchdowns, 399 and four, 276 and five. Most yeah. recently, three. This will be a real test of old Tom Brady, where remember he would just like pile on touchdowns, even though they're <laughs> winning by three scores already. That This will be a real test. He kind of had to throw last week. This will be more of a test this week. Bro, he's one of the, him and Rod, especially Rogers when he had Devontae oh, yeah. Adams, just the kings of like, let me get inside the five and a stat pad there just a little bit. Speaking of the Falcons, uh, two and two, sitting in second place right now ahead of the Saints and Panthers. Again, facing the Buccaneers' eight and a half point dog. So last week, Marcus Mariota had, I believe, seven pass completions. Is Kyle Pitts like OJ Howard, man? Is this just this really hyped rookie? Not rookie tight end, young tight end that just can't do it. I'm, I'm this is killing my mind here, Kevin. They're putting Kyle Pitts in the freaking backfield. He actually gets a one on one situation for a jump ball. Mariota just throws it out the back of the end zone. So, like, seriously, if we had to go rest the season, like, where are you ranking Kyle Pitts at this point? Is he even like in the top five, top six? Like, how, how, how long are we going to play this game? Cause I know we played it for a pretty long time with OJ Howard. I think he's, yeah, I mean, I'd still have him. Um in the top five, but I think he's much better than OJ Howard. I think OJ Howard, there's also a lot of questions about his receiving ability beyond catch and run was really his thing in college where Pitts looks more like a legitimate wide receiver. I mean, we could still make excuses. I could still be an apologist for, for Pitts here again with the seven receptions, with the fact that they need to get in some real good game script. Did you see, 
I mean, Arthur Smith was like having a full body orgasm when they were just running the ball over and over and over again in that game. I think it was 14 straight rushing attempts after. It worked, um, to be fair. It worked. <laughs> it, it did work. Yeah, they went all the way down the field and scored a touchdown, handing it off to someone, something named Caleb uh, Huntley every single play, uh, going all the way down there. So that's not good. But this game, again, it's a test in a different way here where I'm going to assume the Bucks are going to put it down on them. And then what are they going to do there? Are they going to continue just to hand it off with Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley? Or are they going to actually try to pass it to their first round draft pick greatest talent ever at the position uh this is a coaching test here can we can we pass the test please and what's wild is like lost kind of in the whole come on throw the ball at kyle pitts thing drake london has five catches in the last two weeks so like just again putting aside all the annoyance that fantasy managers like myself have have expressed about kyle pitts you can't take drake london away from us too man like it looked after like after the first two weeks that he was going to be a weekly like top 20 option potentially with the numbers he was putting up i can live in a world where we only have drake london in this offense i won't like it kevin but i can live with it if Mariota and arthur smith make this again the caleb huntley freaking tyler algier show the avery williams show out here uh, i'm gonna be shedding some tears on that but yes this season now we had the first half of week three where Kyle Pitts had four catches for 82 yards. His other 14 quarters combined, six catches for 68 yards. Like, we're not even – we don't even care about the touchdowns. That, that that ship is sailed. We know we're not getting touchdowns from this guy ever. God forbid we could just, you know, flirt with uh, triple-digit yards one of these days. Yeah, I mean, again, pass the damn ball. Let's do it. <laughs> we're, like, Tyler Algier this week, without Cordero Patterson, I think he's going to be a lead back. I have him ranked RB – 41 maybe that's a little bit aggressive i'm not i'm gonna try not to say two running backs names here that i've said 20 million times in the <laughs> last two hours talking to you but seriously tyler i was here like well i do think and hey him and rashad white who i'm not bringing him up because of that but him and rashad white were two of only four draft eligible running backs with 70 plus pff grades in rushing receiving and pass blocking so theoretically Algier could be a three down back. I'm just not confident that he's going to get it. I think it's going to be a muddled three back committee with these guys and an offense where, Hey, we're talking about the lions, maybe keeping on, keeping on and uh, the Browns, maybe not. I'm certainly thinking that the Falcons who have had a top 10 scoring offense so far, I don't, I, I maybe top 20, maybe top 22, but definitely not top 10. Yeah. I'm not a big on, on Tyler Algier. I think Caleb Huntley, I mean, he graded better for us in a lot of ways. You could argue that he was better. He didn't have as good of yards per carry on the same amount of, uh, of touches, but he did convert more first downs and was kind of running a little bit better by that stretch. I just don't think you're necessarily going to get like a 42 yard gain on one of the Algier runs. Another one that was 15 yards where he was bouncing them outside. I don't think he's really that physically talented of a guy to bounce outside like that, that often. So it wouldn't surprise me if they just go complete hot hand in that offense with it split up. And I don't think either one of them is really worth playing unless you're, you're very desperate at that position. Moving on to the New Orleans Saints, all kind of banged up right now. Just one and three on the season. Jameis Winston missed last week with the back injury. Michael Thomas missed the game. So did Alvin Kamara, leaving the one guy to keep on keeping on. That's rookie Chris Olave. Do you think that we could be looking at wide receivers, like kind of evaluating them differently moving forward, Kevin? Because the big knock on Olave was, oh, he only broke, you know, four tackles or his entire career at Ohio State. And he didn't, he wasn't the same kind of dynamic player as your Garrett Wilson's. He didn't have the same just explosive long speed as Jameson Williams. He wasn't as big as Drake London. But like, if there was one skill for 
wide receivers to have in today's NFL. That field stretching ability, I don't think anyone tops it. We'll see what Jameson Williams looks like when he's healthy enough because I know he's uh, certainly capable of doing it too. But Alave, man, I feel like you can put him out there and you can tell him to run deep or run a comeback. And he's going to, just with those two routes in his tool bag, and he can do far more than that. I'm not trying to insult the guy's route tree or anything, but I just think that when he has that ability to run past pretty much any cornerback in the league and then just coming back, like, should that be basically the number one trait that we're kind of trying to evaluate wide receivers on? Because it sure as hell looks unstoppable after four weeks of action. Yeah, but I think the problem, although he's a first-round pick, so it's not like even anyone was sleeping on him or, or on Wilson, but you just have a really, really stacked wide receiver groups at the college level now. I mean, we saw it to a degree with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham playing together in the past, but, you know, the Alabama, the last several years, Ohio State, there's just such a concentration of talent there that maybe it becomes a little bit more difficult to rate receivers and especially to rate them based upon quantitative metrics of what sort of share of the offense that they have um, with that becoming more difficult facing that, that sort of competition. So I think that's part of it. But I also want to think that, with the success of this year's first round wide receivers, some people may be thinking, you know, going even higher on wide receiver going forward. And maybe I'm just old enough to remember the 2014 wide receiver class was seen as being off of the charts. And then 2015, 16, 17 guys were being reached. uh, They were reaching for guys in the first round and they were all busting. And then it became the exact opposite. It was never take a receiver in the first round. So that seems like it could be a little bit more cyclical, just how we view these receivers going forward. Saints, this one kind of surprised me, Kevin. They're home against Seattle this week. Five, the Saints are five and a half point favorites against anyone against a NFL football team right now. I mean, look, I'm we'll talk about Geno Smith here in a little bit. And hey, I've been on record about my gambling record. It's not good, but that this was the one line writing it down that it really did just surprise me to see that much benefit of the doubt for a Saints team that we don't know if it's going to be Jameis or Andy Dalton out there. To be honest, neither of them have uh, really looked good this year. I've talked about my love for the Jameis experience, but I certainly wouldn't have expectations overly high for this offense and I guess my last question about this team for you Kevin like even with Jameis back even with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara like is this top 16 offense in the NFL because it sure didn't look that way even the first few weeks of the year even with these guys healthy yeah I don't think they're a top 16 offense in the NFL but the defense has been good I mean the defense has been top five ish I feel like with how they face I know Justin Jefferson tore them up last week and maybe that didn't look so great but they're still were able to close down and give their struggling offense a chance to come back there so I think the defense has proven to be what you would hope it would be and then they have some more weapons on offense and you know Andy Dalton looked functional enough so it almost looks like no matter who's the who ends up being the quarterback, that they can have a functional offense. So I think it's those two things playing together. Whereas for the Seahawks, the defense is bad. We got more and more confirmation that the, that the defense is bad. It may yeah. be a little bit less belief that Geno will continue to be this MVP Geno uh, when he starts facing some tougher defenses. I lied. One more question. We do have Alvin Kamara, RB25, and expected PPR points per game. Dalvin Cook's RB26. We kind of laid out the reasons why Dalvin Cook might be a sell high to an extent. Now, Kamara not quite having as big of a drop off in his targets as Dalvin Cook. With that said, I mean, Kamara doesn't have the same sort of rushing ceiling, especially with how much they continue to keep Mark Ingram involved, even in the games Kamara's there. Kamara's already playing through an injury that, I don't know, man, it could linger. We've already seen it linger and take away a week four game that we thought he was going to be able to be active in. If we can see Kamara, like, go out there this next week and, you know, put together his typical top five Alvin Kamara week, like, would you be willing to try to trade him to someone that still thinks he's this weekly top five runner? back because again we just talked about it this is a 
bottom of the half league offense even going to be at full strength Kamara is already injured we'd like to think that he's on the way back and going to be back to his normal self and the early returns really weren't the Alvin Kamara that we've seen in the past yeah he's not getting the goal line work I mean I'm looking at some numbers here for our expected fantasy points numbers he is he has 0.1 expected rushing touchdowns pace him to get the ball to freaking that dude (laughs) So they're like they're scoring from further away. They're an offense that's with Jameis there at least is kind of like dead. Well, even with Andy Dalton last week, it's dead early in the game, and then it has to score at the end later, where you're just not going to pile on those Kamara touchdowns. I mean, remember? I guess I don't remember what it was. I don't remember if it was Christmas Day or one of those games where Kamara had like six touchdowns in one game. He's not getting those opportunities. That was part of his game too. It wasn't just the receiving; it was also the goal line stuff. So I think that can come back though. I think I can come back in this offense. So I may be a little bit more positive on him going forward and his ability to raise his expected number than what we've seen for Cooks. For Cooks, sorry. Last place, we got the one and three. Panthers facing the 49ers at home. San Fran, six and a half point favorites. Game total, 39 points. Come on, guys, be better. We got our Christian McCaffrey, nice bounce back game in week three, 26 straight non-injury induced games with at least 100 yards and or a touchdown. I mean, is DJ more dead to us, man? Last week was his bounce back game. They fed him 11 targets. They got him a rush attempt and the dude had six catches for 50 yards. I mean, clearly it's more so on Baker and Matt Rule. And, you know, I'm not trying to say we have more than enough evidence to know that DJ Moore is a great wide receiver. Unfortunately, we do see examples, you know, look at freaking early, not current. We'll talk about current Allen Robinson later, but Allen Robinson with Blake Bortles has an incredible year. And the next year he still had 150 targets and he couldn't do anything because he was still playing with Blake Bortles. So DJ Moore, man, my ranks right now, I have him wide receiver 35. I couldn't quite pull myself to rank this dude as the wide receiver four. I mean, is this even a buy low at this point? Or is this just sadly DJ Moore in the year 2022? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be better than it has been, but that's not saying much. It feels much more like a dead cat bounce than a actual real bounce in this situation. So I wouldn't be buying it. I just think that the positive thing that I don't think is as dead. I'm not talking about dead cat so much. Um, (laughs) uh, For McCaffrey, is McCaffrey here? The the, the 981 and one in the passing game. We need that. We need that. That's just so huge for rounding out his game and having a floor. And hopefully they'll see that, hey, he's a a useful guy. We can line him up in the slot, which he's only done a handful of times this season and and have him run down the field and score touchdowns for us. Maybe we'll get some more of that going forward. Um, That's just my hope. He only, he never got over, you know, five targets in those first few games. So now he finally got uh, 11 targets in this game. Close things out with the NFC West. Your first place, Arizona Cardinals somehow. The NFL's worst team in the first half in EPA per play and the NFL's best team in the second half in EPA per play. Can we find a happy medium, Kevin? Because it's, I I don't think, just watch, just watching this Arizona Cardinals offense before Kyler decides to just start taking dropbacks and doing Kyler things. It is horrendous, man. And I know they've had a bunch of injuries, and we started to get Rondale Moore back. Marquise Brown is doing good things. Zach Ertz is getting healthier. James Conner is getting healthier. Two more weeks until you know DeAndre Hopkins is back in the picture. But again, with Kyler Murray, man, we've seen him at his best be one of the best fantasy quarterbacks ever. Just in terms of you know that stretch in 2020 before he got hurt, his fantasy points per game were up there with 2019 Lamar Jackson as just the most productive quarterbacks we've ever seen play. This week, at home against the Eagles, like the game totals of 49, this should be a shootout. 
but am I living in the past too much? Do we need to accept this Arizona Cardinals offense? Is it below average offense, or do you think they can turn it around? I think they can turn it around. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how they can integrate – uh, Rondell Moore again going forward. I think he's one of the more interesting stories. People probably have a little bit too much hope versus the likelihood of anything turning in there, but he did, was playing for 86% of snaps. He did have a 10.4 average depth of target where remember last year he set uh, records for yeah. puny uh, ADOT at 1.3 last season. And he was also playing outside a lot though, he was 75% outside versus uh i'm sorry 65 percent outside versus only 25 percent last year so i'm not so quite sure about that but i was just glad to see not a high yardage upside but we got a touchdown from kyler murray on the ground we got 12 rushing attempts for him and only two of those were scrambles so 10 different design runs maybe kyler murray he listens to this podcast obviously maybe heard <laughs> me call him out last week we need more of that and there's going to be a lot more upside when it comes to rushing yards if he continues to rush it wasn't in this game but it'll happen eventually maybe he's finally flipped that switch to say you know what i really need to take over these games and just be the main guy running the ball too unfortunate start for James Conner, but he's still out there looking between 15, 20 carries and targets per game. He's going to get those touchdowns. Kyler Murray has one, one career quarterback sneak. They don't use him on it at some point when this offense is again, not just in straight up hurry up mode. I do think they're going to find a way to uh, just get him more inside the five attempts. And that's when we will see the James Conner, maybe not from old, but at least giving us, you know, upside RB two numbers. Marquise Brown continue to put him in the lineups of all shapes and sizes on pace for 183 targets this year. Doing really, I thought his performance in week four, man, one of the more impressive ones of any wide receiver I saw during the week, just really showing off with the contested catch stuff. We know he can run by everyone, but actually seeing him go up, make a lot of great plays on the ball, you know, for someone that everyone was making, you know, our little drop compilations of him in the off season. It's been good to see him go out there and absolutely ball. The Rondale Moore thing. He was one of my guys going this year. You know, I tried to hype him up every single show I went on. I am a little bit afraid of that outside wide receiver usage, Kevin, because on the one hand, that's that's good because now they're showing that, okay, they're not maybe going to use him as a complete gadget player the whole season. On the other hand, A.J. Green was out. Antoine Wesley's out. DeAndre Hopkins is out. Is Greg Dorch the new freaking slot receiver in Arizona? That's the one thing I'm terrified of. Or if we see a situation like Buffalo where it's McKenzie and Crowder, you know, or it was McKenzie and Crowder, and then they kind of cancel each other out. So what are your what, what are your, kind of your rest of season expectations for Rondo? I'm fine picking him up as a flyer right now because a lot of people cut him during the injury, but I'm not starting him just yet until we're positive that Dorch isn't going to freaking Dorch us out of this. Yeah, you can't be very confident with him. I mean, for me, these next couple of games will be interesting even going forward. Once DeAndre Hopkins is back, it's going to be really interesting because then, like, who are they going to put in the slot there? Maybe it'll be a rotation of guys or DeAndre will go outside and then we'll put Rondell back in the slot there. So that that is somewhat interesting to me. You know, some other interesting things that I noticed, and this is going back to James Conner here, is that this season – 14.1 expected PPR points per game. Last season, 13.9 expected PPR points per game. This season, he is 13 points under expectation so far. And for the entire season last year, Connor was 50 points over expectation. So his role actually hasn't been that much worse. They've just been a little bit more dysfunctional on offense as far as their ability to put the ball into the end zone, which he was a specialist in last year. The, the fundamental underlying case for Connor probably hasn't changed that much. He was never going to be an explosive guy that was going to go way over expectation unless it was in the touchdown department. So that's what you have to hope for him is he can start to pile up some of those touchdowns in the coming weeks. 
just 3.2 yards per carry for Connor. He's only had 3.7 last year. Yeah, so that's, it's just, really... you're, you're, that's not part of your thesis, right? This is not a Nick Chubb thesis for Connor anyway. Exactly. One of Nathan Yonke's top five to buy low on this week. Always a great article from Nate to start the week. In second place, your Los Angeles Rams sitting at two and two, facing the Cowboys at home, four and a half point favorites, still getting the benefit of the doubt over the Cooper Rush like Cowboys, just a 43.5 point game total. Matthew Stafford, man, is it? Can we blame the offensive line here? They have been one of, I think, their PFF second or third worst graded O line. We only have Cooper Cup out there, really getting open. But whatever you want to, whatever you want to call, it, whatever excuse you want to make, man. Ah, QB thirty in fantasy, QB ten, and then back to back QB twenty nine weeks after four weeks of action. I mean, some of these just pocket passers, the inconsistencies we've seen, man. It's made me really look at just our overall kind of approach to the quarterback position where I think we had our pretty clear top six going into the year. And I still think we have a pretty clear top six with all due respect to Jared Goss of the world uh, being on a heater right now. But the difference between at least for now, the Brady's and the Burroughs and the Stafford's and the cars of the world, we really overstated relative to where they're being picked compared to guys like golf, like Mariota, like Wentz going, you know, still six, seven rounds past those guys. So Stafford, I don't think this is the new normal, man, but it certainly hasn't freaking looked good. What are your expectations for him just as a fancy quarterback here moving forward? And, like, can we even trust him right now? Again, three of his four games, he's been quarterback 29 or worse. That's madness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they need to score more touchdowns. So we had the Bills game, which was just, uh, you know, just awful situation in total. We also have so far – this season that they've scored seven touchdowns and seven field goals. So they, they're getting more field goals than we want to get from them this year. I think there's some maybe hope with Stafford. If you look at it, he's averaging 253 passing yards a game. That's not that bad in this environment where everyone is down, but only four touchdowns. And a lot of drives are getting killed by mistakes. If you look at the expected points lost, and this is not fantasy expected points. This is your like EPA based sort of metric looking at teams so far this year on interceptions where Stafford leads and he has more than 12 more than anyone else so he's he's the worst as far as interceptions and then also going to sacks where he's in the bottom five he's number one overall and those are just drive killing types of plays that don't allow him to get into the end zones and are turning a lot of potential touchdowns into field goals so that's what needs to get turned around I think internally you know again he 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 could boost that up from 250 yards to maybe 280 yards a game and if he gets some touchdowns he starts looking like a profitable guy somewhat for himself in fantasy but definitely for the other pieces in the passing game of course you know even with Stafford putting these performances together hasn't even come close to slowing down Cooper Cup nobody can stop Cooper Cup apparently not even Matthew Stafford in 2021 Cooper Cup averaged 25.7 PPR points per game 2022 27.1 this year's Cooper Cup is in fact Cooper Cup who could have seen that one coming of course we do have Allen Robinson completely shitting the bed for lack of a better phrase to go into this last year Kevin we wrote off the bad start it was Matt Nagy it was Justin Fields it was Dalton it wasn't Allen Robinson's fault in the first four games of last season as bad as they were Allen Robinson had 13 catches for 149 yards and a touchdown this year nine catches 95 yards and a touchdown by far worse than even the worst version of Allen Robinson we've ever seen. He's not getting the targets. He's not really getting open, though. We had a stat from, uh, you know, PFF's finest, Timo, actually talking about this situation. Uh, and actually, he was able to point out, I believe, Allen Robinson has the single worst rate of getting open against man coverage this year. Okay, I, not single worst. He has, he has a 20% route success rate. 
getting open against man single coverage so far in 2022. His average since 2019 is 31%. League average among wide receivers is 30%. So he's 10% below the average of route success rate uh, for what's worth. Garrett Wilson leads the league at 54%. So like, is this just, I don't know. Cause man, we gave up on Robert Woods last year and he came back, but I think the Robert Woods thing, we weren't seeing this level of incompetency, were we? No, no, not at this level, I would say. I mean, he's not getting open. He's running routes further down the field. The offensive line is led to a lot of sacks, and I think that's somewhat in shambles. And we've just seen this season that uh, Stafford's just willing to get rid of the ball even to inefficient types of pass attempts. I mean, Tyler Higby has got 38 targets so far this year at a clip of 6.4 yards per target. And you talked about nothing can stop Cooper Cup. From a fantasy perspective, I'll give you that. From an offensive efficiency perspective, he was averaging 10.2 yards per target last season. This season, 7.4. So that is a huge drop for the offense. The problem with, with Robinson is he's not being targeted. Even when he is being targeted, he's 5.3 yards per target. So it hasn't been any better there. Hopefully they can get things fixed around, fixed around the offensive line because I think that's really affecting everything. And I think it just takes Allen Robinson off of the board as an option where Stafford's looking to a check down or a shorter in-between target to Cup or Higby more often than he's looking down the field, further down the field to Allen Robinson. Obviously, Cup, the wide receiver one. If you want to do wide receiver two, then freaking go for it. You're starting him. Tyler Higby, volume-based tight end one. Got to be loving that. Unfortunately, for now, we just got to stay away from this Rams backfield. Like, it continues to swing back and forth. Last week, Henderson had the most snaps at 60%. Cam Akers, 37%. Henderson had seven carries and three targets. Akers had eight and one. So it seemed like it was moving more in Akers' uh, direction, but certainly hasn't been solidified. And it's just not there for him, man. These guys are the expected RB47 and RB51 on a per game basis. So they haven't been doing anything, but we shouldn't have been expecting them to do anything either based on the opportunities they've had. And how could you, man, this offense is 29th in points per game, 31st in yards per play, 28th in EPA per play. So, Hey, it's Sean McVay. Like we'd expect him to kind of turn this around sooner rather than later. Right. We, I was it Tage that did that a good study last year, kind of showing the second half McVay drop off. And I know he kind of got past those demons at the end of the year. They had a great playoff run and everything, but that's the kind of concerning part. I would say really for the Rams and to a lesser extent, the Cardinals, man, some of these offenses that we're used to seeing take over the league in the first eight, nine weeks of the year, they're not getting anything. But with that said, you know, I do trust Sean McVay a little bit more than Cliff Kingsbury to write this ship. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a fair thing to say. They weren't very good at running the ball last year, though, too. So if anything, though, I would beg McVay to maybe mix in some more passes on early downs here because it's just putting Stafford behind the eight ball and then allowing pass rushers to come in and feast on that poor offensive line, which could mean less carry opportunities very inefficient carry opportunities so far for acres and henderson but could mean more opportunities near the goal line or catching the ball which i think could be more profitable for them in fantasy football anyway they are set up it's it's a double-edged sword this week they uh they're you know pff single worst offensive line and pff pass blocking grade i know before i said they were second worst but they actually are the worst so good luck against michael parsons and company on the other oh, hand yeah. the cowboys have given up the highest explosive run play rate in the league this year so either staffords could be on his back all game or maybe just maybe we do see this rushing game take a little bit of a step forward obviously can't be trusting these running backs though in the meantime hold on to him though because both guys one injury away from being back and having you know a top 15 top 18 sort of workload that obviously we're hoping they would have by now but that is life sometimes finally kevin time for the main event you're two and two seahawks geno smith's world we're just living in it 
2021 and 2022, there's been 50 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks. Geno Smith, he's ninth at PFF passing grade. You listen to a PFF podcast, maybe you still think we're full of shit. You don't like our grades. Fine, throw it away. He's second in quarterback rating. He's ninth in yards per attempt. He's second in adjusted completion rate. Tenth in big time throw rate. Even 20th in turnover worthy play rate, man. How long does Geno Smith need to do this before mainstream media, Kevin, tells us what we're seeing with our eyes, that he's actually a good quarterback? I mean, I know it's weird, but like, seriously, does he have to do this for three straight years before we accept it? Because it's not even like Geno was sucking for the better part of the last five years. He wasn't even playing. Ben McAdoo benched a terrible Eli Manning. Probably shouldn't know because it was Eli Manning, but it's not like Eli. I mean, you could argue that McAdoo made the right call a couple years ago, just in terms of who gave them a better chance to succeed. From what we've seen with Geno Smith the last five years, he's been a good quarterback. Do you think that continues, or does Geno Smith start looking like the guy he looked like back in what 2013, 2014? Because that seems to be the expectation. Well, I mean, it's not going to continue at this level. I hope. One more thing to add to the to the Geno to, to the Geno file of all of his statistics. So, so far this season, 77.3 completion percentage, the highest completion percentage ever through four weeks in the NFL season. So this is, this is another thing. Gino, put him in the record books. He's going to the hall of fame right now for that statistic alone. But what's interesting about what Gino has been doing is why you can't just say, Oh, whatever. And just write it off as, as being nothing. Even that completion percentage number is, you know, he's averaging 10.3 yards per completion. It's, you know, a middling sort of stat, but it's not a Ben Roethlisberger type of number. And that's how they're getting to doing it. He is pushing the ball down the field sometimes. So he's been really, really, really good so far this year. Can't take anything away from what he's been doing so far this year. Will it continue going forward? No, it's not going to continue going forward. And Pete Carroll is probably going to want to run the ball when they can. Um, but at least he's becoming more comfortable. What he's done is probably getting him some rope for being able to throw the ball a bit more. And that can help, you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and other guys be profitable as far as being fantasy assets. You know, it's just, it's iron sharpens iron in that quarterback room, Kevin. You know, you just got Geno Smith and Drew Locke, you know, making each other so better. We should, Drew Locke should be all, also on that record for highest uh, completion percentage. Just like, and Drew Locke. It's, it's, it. a, it's a team sport, Kevin. It's a team sport. They're both uh, looking at the <laughs> Microsoft surfaces together and pointing, pointing to things, I think. Uh, to your point about the Seahawks, I, I do agree with you. I think they want to run the ball more. We'll see if they can, though. This is the 31st ranked defense in the league in scoring. With the end, they are actually, to be fair, finally, you know, running with a heightened sense of pace. Uh, shout out Joy McFarland for this lovely stat. But only the Eagles have run more plays this year with 15 plus seconds remaining on the play clock. So there have been some underlying things to think that this passing game can keep on keeping on. I do think Gino during the bye weeks and the right matchup could be a reasonable quarterback. Again, if, if we, him and Jared Goff and Wentz and all these guys, like you can put them in that tier, albeit I don't think we're going to be necessarily prioritizing them over a bunch of other guys. The next most important question comes down to Metcalf and Tyler Lockett because two guys that we know were great receivers and we let them slide so, so far in drafts because of the underlying thought that the quarterback play was going to be atrocious. And even if it is going to fall off a little bit, hey, that's fine. We have plenty of wide receivers that don't have great situations under center. We still buy in because they're not horrendous and, you know, they can get enough volume. Two things that it does seem like Metcalf and Locker are going to have moving forward. So, you know, living with the times, adjusting on the fly. I have Metcalf this week, wide receiver 10. I have Tyler Lockett, wide receiver 28. So still spread out. But, man, just based on, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, that's a good 15, 20 spots ahead for both guys. 
do you think we're looking at DK Metcalf back as a wide receiver one lock it back, you know, in that conversation as well, or is this just a hot stretch for them as well as, you know, uh, I think they could get back. And what's interesting, even with G- Gino playing so well, both of these guys uh, so far this season are under expectation as far as their fantasy scoring uh, versus where they've seen their targets so far this year. Uh, but yet DK is still number 10 and then we go into lock it at number 20. So we have actually some potential to get a little bit better scoring there. If, if they keep the same sort of usage, if we were in a situation where they didn't have that usage, it was all based on this Geno efficiency that wasn't going to continue. Then I'd be a little bit more concerned. I think it's fine. I think they look good. They still have a very narrow target distribution and that really helps raise the floor and ceiling for both of those guys. Pretty tough, I mean, schedule so far for Metcalf, too. It's amazing he's been as well as he has. You know, he caught that Asante Samuel Jr. shadow in week one, league best coverage defense, the 49ers in week two, had A.J. Terrell in his hip pocket, but managed to score a touchdown anyway in week three. And, I mean, Jeffrey Okuda, everyone talking about how well they did shutting down Justin Jefferson in week three, could not do that against Metcalf in week four. So, been really fun watching him go out there and do his thing. And Tyler Lockett, too, man, just the amount, the way Tyler Lockett was written off, like, look, I know Russell Wilson has had a lot to do with how great Tyler Lockett was, but it's just weird how Lockett's seemingly the only wide receiver in Seattle over the years that, yeah, it was a factor of Russ and, like, not just being pretty damn awesome in his own right. So, great stuff from them. And finally, it's, hey, I I did not know we'd be warranted talking this long about the Seahawks a couple of weeks ago, Kevin, but here we are. Uh, Rashad Penny coming off, you know, a week high rushing total going out there continues to look just fantastic. I mean, everything I talked about with Gino also applies to Rashad Penny and this little two year sample size that he is growing. So 54 running backs with hundred plus carries over the last two years. Penny is 11th in rushing grade first in yards per carry. He's 6.2 yards per carry first in yards after contact per carry tied for ninth and missed tackles force per carry. So my thing with Penny is, I don't believe that Kenneth Walker is going to stay this far behind him for that long. Last week, it was 68% snaps for Penny, 35% for Walker. With that said, they're down to two backs. The one assumption that I missed on with this backfield was that in the absence of Travis Homer, DJ Dallas will pick up the pass down work. And Travis Homer on IR with the rib injury, he he outsnapped both these guys in like week three. So this hasn't been clear sailing for Rashad Penny. I mean, first three weeks of the year, he was, uh, you know, like outside the top 30 running backs every single time. So we haven't seen, you know, this consistent stretch for Penny. I still don't think that the Seahawks will be playing with a ton of leads moving forward. But if we can get it down to just Penny and Walker, and these guys can actually catch some passes, I'm kind of fine raising both their kind of just projections throughout the rest of the year. How do you feel about it, Kevin? Yeah, I think that's fair because uh, Penny is also, I mean, he's running routes. So he's at least been out there. Um, the problem from their fantasy perspective is that uh, Gino is not throwing to the running backs a whole lot. I mean, there's not a ton of pass volume and he's not throwing it to, to the running backs a lot. I mean, if you look at even two weeks ago, Walker ran four routes and had three <laughs> three catches whereas penny ran 25 routes and had one catch he was in the 20 routes again with barely any catches so you know his his expected numbers look really bad from a receiving perspective because of how little he's being used in the passing game he only has 16 expected uh receiving yards so far this season but he's been running routes so maybe that will change a bit as far as gino but hey when you're gino smith and you can just you know you can scramble you can do it all you can throw the ball down the field you don't want to just dump it off to a running back you want to make a big play finally here we got the two and two 49ers in last place right now but obviously still very early in the season and 
What are our overall, overall thoughts on this offense after four weeks? Because you look at it, they faced the Bears in week one, just complete mud pit, you know, Trey Lance out there, not really able to get anything going. They beat the Seahawks. They scored 27 points in week two. We know what the Seahawks defense is, and the answer is not very good. 10 points against the Broncos, 24 with help from the pick six. That was an amazing play, uh, by the way, to jump that screen against the Rams last week. And you look up, man, and the fabled, the fable Kyle Shanahan has a 27th ranked scoring offense. And this isn't exactly new, Kevin. Like, and you know, we can talk. I know Eric Eager, formerly a PFF, did some good work last year to show how unique the 49ers offense was compared to some other teams. You look at, you know, the things he's done pre-snap motion, the ability to get so much out of the run game without, you know, when Jimmy G's back there without having a mobile quarterback, the yards after the catch ability where clearly Debo and Kittle are monsters, but I think they're put in good positions for success. So not going to call Shanny a fraud, but for our purposes, you know, all that stuff, it's not equaling fantasy points. We don't really care. And if you look at Shanahan ranking points per game as an offensive coordinator or head coach since 2008, 17th, 10th, 25th, 26th, 4th, 23rd, 27th, 21st, 1st, 20th, 21st, 2nd, 21st, 13th, and now 27th. Literally, man, since 2008, four times, four times the top 10 scoring offense, and now he ranks at 27th. So I'm not so sure if this 49ers offense is going to be a top-tier scoring offense. How do you feel about this group moving forward? Because as much as I want to continue to say that Ayuk's going to get going, Kittle's going to get going, and all that, right now it just seems like Debo Samuel and Jeff Wilson, as long as the other running backs they hurt. Yeah, I think the problem with this offense is the offensive line. Uh, with Trent Williams now out, the all the interior guys were already very questionable. So we have four or five positions that are questionable. And in a lot of ways, that concerns me a lot more when it comes to the running game than when it comes to the passing game. Whatever you say about Jimmy, you know, he's good at getting the ball out quickly. They can run those wide receiver screens. Um, he's not some guy who holds on to the ball. He's pretty effective at avoiding sacks. I don't believe he was sacked last game or he was sacked once last game against the Rams, even despite the fact that Aaron Donald was just running free in the backfield a couple of times. He'll, he's willing to just dump it into the ground and, and you know live to, to go for another play. Uh, but running the ball, 32nd in success rate right now, as far as running the ball is concerned. And I think that has been a problem. They do not have the bodies up front, no matter how well you scheme to have an effective running game, which makes things a lot more difficult because if you're running a, you know, run, run pass and have Jimmy convert on third down type of offense that has worked for them in the past. But if you really can't be efficient running the ball, it becomes more of an issue because you have games like the Denver game where they went one for 10 on, on third down. And then last game, they were much more effective. I think they were five for 11 on third down, which helped them out a bit more putting them in bad positions on third down. It's not going to work in, in the long term. They need to get that running game fixed. Looking at George Kittle, the hot topic, uh, shout out Josh Larkey with the 3013 had a funny tweet where it was the, uh, uh, you know, Moneyball scene where Jonah Hill's talking to Billy and it's like, you know, he's got all these things going for him, but here's the problem. Basically saying, you know, George Kittle, oh, he's this incredible playmaker. One of the, you know, biggest beats we've seen at tight end, all the yards after catchability. Uh, his problem is that he plays left tackle now. And, you know, looking at the performance last week and not having Trent Williams, we have seen them lean more into Kittle, you know, blocking over the years because he is a fantastic blocker, just like he is a fantastic receiver. But I mean, I'm looking at the routes right now in week four, Kevin, and out of 27, maybe 28 dropbacks, Ayuk had 27. Debo at 26 and Kittle at 24. I mean, it's not like he's okay. He's not out there hundred percent of the routes, but that's still, you know, well North of, you know, 70, 80%. 
he's still out there plenty. Do you think it's just a matter of time before Kittle goes the hell off? Because we know like we're going to get that 15, 16 target game where it looks like the dude's never going to be able to be stopped again. I have a very hard time believing, you know, as much as I can poke fun at Kyle Shanahan's, you know, points per game scoring, like, come on, we know this is George Kittle still. Is he someone that maybe like, okay, George Kittle versus Kyle Pitts rest of the season. Who you got? Uh, I think I'd still take Pitts at this point just because we don't have the volume for Kittle, but it's close. Uh, I mean, he could have had a touchdown. Of course, he was a couple inches away yeah. last week from from getting a touchdown on that play. I think the problem is just not having all of that passing volume. And, you know, Brandon Ayuk is good, right? So if you have Debo Samuel and you have Ayuk that's pretty good and you have, you know, Juwan Jennings is going to – I mean, I'm sorry, you're going to get some – um you're going to get some catches from other guys who are who are playing. Oh, you know, Juwan Jennings. I thought I was I thought I was confusing him with the uh, Saints tight end there for a second. So you know, Juwan Jennings is going to get some some targets. You're going to have use check. Maybe he'll get a target or two in there. The running backs will be used sometimes. Ray Ray McLeod is being used sometimes and getting some targets. There's just not enough to go around. So you're going to get a big game from Kittle periodically. It's just not going to be consistent sort of production. I'm going to call it. Our sleeper bounce back player of the week is going to be George Kittle. Shout out sleeper powered by sleeper favorite place to go play redraft. And they got some great dynasty features as well. Easiest place to go customize your league settings, whatever you're trying to do against San Francisco this week in Carolina, six and a half point road favorites game total at a lowly 39 points. And with that, We've wrapped up week five. Thanks as always for tuning in, everyone. AFC NFC previews each and every week. Myself and Kevin Cole. Kevin, plenty of great stuff you always have on PFF.com and the Unexpected Points podcast where you talk about some unexpected points. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Trying to rile up all the fan bases out there. Who's my my Jets were my target this week? Uh, pretty bad two and two team, but I can't even be that mean to them because it's just like they're finally having their moment to shine. So we'll let them shine a little bit here. Uh, I'll be talking to everyone who wants to check out Unexpected Points on Friday morning to review the thrilling Colts Denver Broncos game and also preview some you know something you can sprinkle a little recreational bets on this weekend. Check that out. Check out my stuff at pff.com. Position previews, she support, injuries, mismatch manifesto. Always a great week to be great over there. So for Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.